The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 46 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, we don't have a guest for the interview segment, but we do have a shop talk with Chris Hawthorne over at Hawthorne Drum Shop. I wanted to take this week to get to a bunch of questions that have been sitting around. If you have been listening to the show since the beginning, uh, I was soliciting questions early on, not really knowing where the show was going to go. And they've just been kind of sitting here because... uh, what I found was my interviews with all these great guests have been, you know, hour plus long. I originally thought we might get a half hour out of them and I would need some other things to fill the space. So I appreciate everyone who had sent in questions. I am going to do my best to weave that back in. Um, the show is ever evolving. So this week I decided not to bring in a guest so I could take a week to work on some new ideas. We've got a lot of stuff in the works. Um, and also to, I mean, thank you all who checked out the Instagram post on the Drum Factory Direct page where I asked for your suggestions for guests. I have 89 great suggestions and I've already solicited half a dozen or so. So thank you all for that input. Um, The show is going to keep on going. We had no idea what was going to happen. We're coming up on our one year anniversary of this show. My original thought was we would just do, you know, a few episodes just to get us to when the new website would launch. But now here we are coming up on almost an anniversary here in May. So thank you all so much for checking out the show and listening and supporting and uh, humor me with all this nerd talk. So this week I'm going to go through just a bunch of questions. So let's get to it. All right. This question comes from Michael. This is one that's come up up many times over the course of different conversations I've had with builders on the show, off the show. Um, It's all about bearing edges. Would you be, would you consider discussing the types of varying edges and what to look for based on tone? I think if you talk to any drum builder, they will have their own opinion on this. I can only give you from my experience. I've never, I never really built a drum. I built one snare drum when I visited Sugar Percussion for their snare drum workshop. Uh, But I had, I think actually that was the one step where they cut the bearing edges. So I didn't really have any control over exactly how the bearing edge was was shaped but i have a lot of drums and they all have different bearing edges so from my experience the things you need to look for number one regardless of the shape of the bearing edge it just needs to be flat which means if you put the drum with no heads on it on a piece of granite it should be flat it shouldn't wobble there should be no light peeking through because if the edge is not flat what will happen is the drum head will buzz at that spot if it's not tensioned higher than probably you want it. So if a drum, if a bearing edge isn't flat, in my experience, it really messes up the tuning capability of the drum, especially in the lower registers. So number one thing, the edges have to be perfectly flat. From there, the drum will tune, and now you get into what does the shape of the bearing edge do. From my experience, the rounder the bearing edge, means the more contact that the shell has with the drum head, which results in a, I mean, it could be perceived as fatter, but it basically means the shell is dampening the head a little bit more. So you're getting a you know a darker, thuddier, punchier sound, and you know possibly more shell contribution to the tone. But I think the most important thing is that having that much contact with the drum head, the shell is almost acting like a dampener. So you're getting a fatter, 
probably quieter sound out of the drum. Now that can go so far to where if the if the if it's so round and so flat that the drum just sounds boxy and no good. So there's always diminishing returns with that. And then same thing on the other end of it. The sharper the buried edge, the more resonant, the brighter, more projection you're going to get out of the drum. But if you go too far, too sharp, if the drum head is only sitting on a tiny little sliver of wood, then in my experience, the drum just sounds like out of control, like flutter, like the, the, there's just no, you're just hearing a drum head basically. So there's always a happy medium. That's why I think most builders kind of do a slight round over on the backside so you get a little bit more head contact there, but a nice sharp apex. And the other thing, I don't see it too often anymore, but I used to see where the apex of, apex means where's the point where the drum head actually touches the shell where that would be so far on the outside of the shell that it, would, it wouldn't sit on the flat part of the drum head. It would kind of be connecting to the collar area of the drum head, and that's no good. So in general, the apex of the, of the shell should be not in the edge, somewhere towards the middle of the shell, and then fairly sharp, which is why 45 or 30 degrees is often used with a little bit of a roundover, so then that drum head can kind of form to the shell a little bit more. And that seems to be the perfect recipe. Different variations of that, but yeah, the rounder and fatter, the rounder of the bearing edge, the fatter, punchier, potentially boxier the sound. The sharper the bearing edge, the brighter, uh, the brighter sound with more projection, but potentially a drum that doesn't have any focus. It's just overtone city. Hopefully that answers it. Okay, next one came from Tom. This is a question about the DW mag throw-off in three-position butt plate. Seems like a great setup. Um, haven't heard me mention it much, and most often we mention the trick throw-off. So I think in the world of throw-offs, if you're talking about the, the most kind of high-end popular version, the trick is kind of the, the undefeated champion and especially the one that has the three position notches the, that throw off just it's smooth it's solid i've never seen one broken or had any issues with one personally and the the three position lever in my opinion is well spaced so you can get a loose snare response that's not super rattly and then you do one notch up and that gives you the perfect middle ground and then the third notch up gives you right to the point right before the wire start to choke. So for me, you get the, the full range of what the wires can do from tight and crisp, medium with a little bit of width, and then the third spot gives you a little bit more spread without it being like super rattly. Um, the DW Mag, um, for those of you who don't know that throw off, it's two pieces. So you've got the, the part with the lever is actually magnetized. So there's, there's no switch, there's no um, there's no notch that locks it in. It's just it's a magnet. So you flip it up and it sticks to the base. Very cool throw off. Uh, I like that throw off even without the three position butt plate. It's really nice. Um, the, and on the butt plate, it has a similar concept, a lever that you can notch from loose to medium to high. In my experience, that three position butt plate is not calibrated in a range that I like. I think it goes from too loose to too tight so I end up just leaving it in the middle so then for me 
I'm not getting the full um, the full value of it. That's just in my experience with the drums that I have that I've tried with that throw off. But it is definitely a good system, and at the very least, I would recommend the DW Mag, you know, as my you know one A one B choice. If the trick is the one A choice, the Mag would be the one B choice. Hope that helps. All right, I've got a whole bunch of topic suggestions here from Alex. Snare wires and bottom heads. When should we think about changing one versus the other to achieve certain sounds? Um, I am in the middle of producing, which is part of the reason why this week I didn't schedule a guest because I'm doing a lot of video production, pre-production for Drone Factor Direct this week. And the first thing that I'm doing is I am going to do demos of all the snare wires that we that we offer, that uh, Pure Sound offers, and all the manufacturers that are available on drumfactordirect.com. I'm doing demos of all of the wires on the exact same drum tuned the exact same way with the wire tensioned um, as closely as, as parallel as possible. So we'll have video to, to you can just check it out. You can listen to everything, you know, quick cut or each one individually. So that is in the works. So we'll have more kind of scientific evidence for some, some of this. But snare wires, when should you change them? Um, only if they're not giving you what you need. That's my thought. Over time, they can bend. Um, if you play really hard, they can eventually come loose from the end clips or they can snag and you can just get bent out of shape. So if they're starting to just kind of rattle and you're having to over tighten them, just change them out. If if the drum isn't giving you enough sizzle, go to a wider snare setup. If um, you're getting too much sympathetic buzz or just like way too much snare sound, go for a setup that has less wires. Um, but in general, I don't change them often until all of a sudden I'm hearing something I don't like. That's usually my guiding principle for everything with changing my equipment. And then when it changes the bottom head, uh, that's similar if the drum just starts to sound like it's not giving you enough response or something, or if you're finding that the hoop is being pulled down so far close to the bearing edge that Maybe the wires aren't disengaging all the way, so it's just getting overstretched. That Then I'll change the bottom head. But the bottom snare head is usually the last thing I change on any drum. Usually it's only if it breaks or if it's overstretched or if there's just something, the drum all of a sudden just doesn't give me what I need. I have some drums from the like 50s and 60s that had the original bottom heads on it and it still sounds good. Um, next topic within your topics. What differences are there when using a thicker bottom head with a high strand count versus a thinner head with fewer strands? Um, I don't know that you can quantify those things perfectly parallel. I think, in general, use the thinnest bottom head that you can find unless you play super hard and then you're finding you're popping the bottom head. So if you're playing super hard with giant sticks, and you've got that bottom, you know, a, maybe a shallow drum where the air is just moving with so much force, you're going to break the bottom head just by playing. That's, in my opinion, the only time I would go to a thicker bottom snare head is if I'm just blowing out those bottom heads. Um, and then, yeah, I already talked about the wire count. So again, be on the lookout for the the snare wire <laughs> roundup videos I'm going to be producing in the next couple weeks. Um, okay, what's another one? I'm going to skip down to 
What about orchestral heads for the kit? I put an or Evans orchestral bottom on a Supra and liked it. Uh, I just recently, on the Drum Factor Direct page, we created a, a little combo pack that you get an Evans Strata batter and an orchestral bottom in a set of concert snare wires. Highly recommended if you want to turn your drum into something that sounds old and vintage and dark. And that's not just for classical snare drum use. I put it on an old um, 1960s Slingerland three-ply student drum because I wanted that drum to sound like an old bebop record. I've been playing along to a lot of early John Coltrane records and Art Taylor, like that type of sound. That head combo is perfect. I didn't need to do too much dampening, not to mess with it. So orchestral heads in general are more sensitive, thinner, um, give you a more uh, a drier, darker, warmer sound. Um, so if that's what you want on your snare drum, I would not use them on any drum that you're going to be smacking a lot of rim shots and super hard playing on. But if you're playing quiet, brushes, jazz, theater music, light, lighter acoustic kind of stuff, or if you just want to make your drums kind of just sound earthy, check them out. You can go, you know, calfskin, or you can go like the synthetic calf rebakes, like the calf tone or the uh, fiber skin. But this, to me, um, the orchestral heads aren't as affected, and you still get all that real light dynamic response. So give them a try if that's the sound you're looking for. Um, you have another question about types of film for heads and why we don't talk about it. That's that's kind of the company's secrets, I guess. Um, most of it's coming from DuPont Mylar, but each company has their own version of that that they prefer prefer or have exclusivity to. And then you've got different types of film for the heads that are made not in the United States. So, I mean, it's all essentially the same product, but different, you know, different variations of it that I don't think any of them are going to share it with you unless you're signed an NDA. Okay. Um, do certain heads or collars work better for certain bearing edges? That's a good question. Um, we're kind of going deep dive on drum heads here. The thickness of the, the collar that's used on the drum head, the metal ring that the plastic is attached to, yeah. Uh, can be a problem. Um, if you have a super thick one, it's not going to fit on drums that tend to be oversized and maybe have a thick um, Delmar wrap on it. There's a reason why Remo heads fit Gretsch drums better than others. It's just because of the way that that collar is sized and shaped. Plus, Remo has the um, Classic Fit, which has a thinner collar, which that's designed to fit on the older drums that might have a slightly oversized or out of slightly imperfect diameter. Um, so you just have to be careful. If you're fine, you can't get a drum head to seat on your drum, try different brands because they're all different. Attack is different than Evans, it's different than Remo, different than Aquarian. They're all different. All right, your last, your last comment here. Jason McGurr mentioned using a Keplinger snare with lugs that aren't evenly spaced. That sounds like a fascinating thing to try. What about drilling out a shell for uneven lugs and using single flange hoops? 
Yeah, that's the thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna put lugs on your shell that aren't in a standard configuration, there's gonna be no hoops that will fit it. So you're gonna have to use single flange or no flange or wood hoops with with clips and claws. So it does limit it. I don't know what possibly could be the the benefit of doing that other than it just looks pretty wild. Um, and you just have to be careful of how asymmetrical it is if you're pulling the drum head like drastically more tension on one side or the other. I think it's more just a, a funky, goofy thing to do. Now, the idea of maybe doing 10 on top and 8 on the bottom, that's been experimented with over the years. So, yeah, I mean, sure, if you're willing to try it. Um, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like... Um, my taste in, in beverages these days where years ago I wanted to try all the different flavors and all the variations and, and kind of explore and, and be entertained by what I was tasting. And then I just come back to just, I want a nice clean beverage. And I think that's the same with drums. I, I, I want eight lugs, 10 lugs, it, they always work. So I don't think I will ever be like, man, I really wish this drum had, 12 lugs on top and six on the bottom that would really give me the perfect sound i mean i think it's fun try it but uh don't expect it to be life-changing all right thanks alex this another one's this one here is coming from mike a question about internal mufflers um i'm considering adding them to what's he say he's got superphonic and a black beauty and a, a gentleman series by q uh, I hate gels, but I've used them and always wondered why we stopped adding them to snare drums. Um, I think because over time they just don't work. They rattle like vintage drums. Inevitably, the internal dampeners are just causing rattling or, you know, the felt is worn out. So now it's buzzing or it's really dried up and it's creating like a crazy fuzzy sound. Um, so I just think the, the need for them over time is, is kind of dissipated. And also, I know they're kind of becoming a thing again, but I think it just, it it doesn't dampen the drum in a good way. It, it kind of like chokes the drum. It makes it just sound really not good, in my opinion, in almost every situation. Um, that said, there's some good options. Canopus has a good one. Pearl has a pretty good one. If you really want to, I certainly would not put one of those on a Q Gentleman Series snare because those are so, I don't think they're even offered anymore. So I would keep that as original as possible. Um, Superphonic, I mean, yeah, I guess that was an option to have that back in the day. You could drill it out, but maybe look at one of the external, like similar things that are available. You clip on and it, it brings a little muffling pad over the top of the drum. Maybe try that first, but man, just carry a roll of, of gaffer's tape and just tiny little pieces of that. I, it's never let me down. Um, and I've never, I've never said, man, I wish, I wish I had an internal version of this. You know, that's just my opinion. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it unless you're just dead set on that's, that's the vibe. Um, I just don't think they, they make the drum sound better in my opinion. Okay. Similar type of question from Ed. Other than dampening, what are some things you could do to soften the attack on a drum across all tunings rather than just going for the super low sound? Lighter hoops, thicker head. So essentially, what has the opposite effect of going to die cast hoops from triple flange? Uh, 
That is an interesting question. Um, I, again, we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be demoing every hoop possibility coming up soon in the next couple months. Uh, my hypothesis is that the hoops aren't going to do drastically that big of a difference. I think your drumhead choice is going to be the most important thing. So going from you know a, a clear thin a clear single ply head to a coated single ply head, it's a warmer sound, right? Then maybe go to a double ply coated. It's going to be even warmer, darker, more low end type of sound because of the extra mass. So then, then you can go with um, some of the calfskin, like synthetics. The calf tone is going to be super. The attack is going to be significantly rounder on a fiber skin or a calf tone head. And then if you want to go all the way, go natural hides. Get the, um, I mean, there's the kangaroo hides that are available. You've got calfskin still available. And there's even the ones I've seen that still have some of the fur on them, which really makes the drum sound totally round. <laughs> like there's almost no attack to it. Um, so that's, that would be my suggestion is your drum head choice and also put stuff on the drum. Like that's what tea towels do. That's what you know, putting a shop rag over half of the drum or a big fat snare drum applique or, you know, any, anything that's going to add mass to the drum is going to help kind of soften the attack of it. And then what else would I do? Um, I mean, use mallets. Often in the studio, almost every time if I'm recording with kind of like an like alt country or an indie Americana kind of a vibe, um, they don't want any attack. So I use mallets. I use swizzle sticks that have like a felt beater on one side and a regular drumstick on the other. So I can play the cymbal parts with the drumstick and then the snare drum and toms with the mallet and then flip them over to two mallets if I'm doing more stuff around the toms. So I think that's a big difference is what, you know, just use some mallets. There's so many variations of hard felt, soft felt, fluffy, fleece covered, felt covered, you know, Get some mallets, start exploring that. Hope that helps. This one, this one comes from Derek. What is the process you go through to decide which snare to use for a studio session or gig? What would be the thought process for an outdoor venue with no mics versus an indoor ven venue with mics? Um, yeah, and assuming music style would be pretty wide open for all gigs. I think about this for every gig. This is um, usually the, the primary point of of um <laughs> i don't say anxiety but that's the thing i think about most for different gigs like i just did one a couple weeks ago it was, i knew it was going to be outside it was going to be a big stage big full production um i didn't want a super loud drum but i wanted something that i wouldn't have to overplay to get the stage volume that i needed so i took a uh, hendrix stave maple shell and tuned it kind of medium with a, a little bit of dampening to get rid of some of the, the bite of it but knowing that shell was just going to have more sound i would not take that drum to an indoor situation with like glass you know walls everywhere that's super bright and reflective so i always think about always think about that so the louder i need to be the more um the more i'll go with a thicker solid shell or like steel or brass something like a thick brass drum something that's going to just produce 
enough sound acoustically that I don't have to overplay. And then vice versa, if it's a suit, if I know I'm going to have to be playing under, you know, like super low volume, I'll go for a drum that just doesn't have as much sound right away. Maybe a vintage wood drum or one of the new drums that have really round bearing edges or an acrylite that's just a very dry sounding drum. Um, yeah, that's like primary snare drum choice is always what I think about the most. And then cymbals a second. It's a similar thing. Do I need cymbals that project or do I need cymbals that are super dry? Um, and then I usually take a wood drum and a metal drum for each gig. So I have some options. Hope that helps. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All right, that is all the listener questions that I had waiting. Thank you for being so patient for me to get to those. Some of these things I've talked about with guests over the course of the past year, but that's my opinion and all that. Now I'm going to um, address some of the most frequently asked questions that we get at Drum Factor Direct from people who are buying parts and you know wanting to either build a drum out from scratch or redo a drum for a different purpose um, or just fix up an old drum. So these are some of the most common things that we get asked. First one is, do I need to use gaskets on my lugs and hardware? Um, obviously the answer is no, you don't need to use them. The, we've discussed this around the office and I would say we kind of all agree that if you have a drum with, with a wrap, like a Delmar wrap, gaskets are not really essential. If you haven't like a, a shell that has like a, like a, maybe like a lacquer finish and you don't want the lugs to be digging into that lacquer, a gasket will help prevent that. Um, if you have like a satin finish again the gasket will help prevent that lug or that part from like digging into the wood itself but it will dampen the drum a little bit again that's something we're going to be testing to make sure that you can really perceive it in the context of of music and a full kit but um only use them if you need to use them so with some shells the way the hoops are shaped these days and the way the shells are made, sometimes the shells are just slightly undersized. So you could have some like tension rods play to where the tension rods aren't lining up perfectly with the receivers and the lug. So the gaskets can help straighten that out. That's really only an issue if you have a lug that doesn't have a swivel nut inside. If it has a swivel nut that moves around and that splay is really just an aesthetic thing. But if it's a solid lug with, with the threading built into it, that tension rod splay could cross some cross threading over time. Do you need do you need to use them? No. You just, it's a case by case, drum by drum situation. Okay. Can I use tom heads on my bass drum or can I use a bass drum head on my tom? This is I've made this mistake personally with 18 inch toms um, 
put in a bass drum head on it and it doesn't fit. So the collar that's used on bass drum heads is much thicker than the collar used on tom heads. That's because of the hoops. So if you're using a wood hoop, you need a bigger collar in order for that head to sit properly and not like slip inside the hoop. So no, they're not interchangeable. A bass drum needs bass drum head collar. A tom needs a tom head collar to fit with the appropriate hoops. Now that leads into a second topic that we've just recently having to deal with. It comes up quite often. You have a, let's say you have an 18 inch floor tom, you want to turn it into a bass drum. Can you just slap some wood hoops on it? You would think that's all you got to do. Put some wood, wood hoops on it, put some spurs on it, now you have an 18 inch bass drum. That won't work because the lugs are different. The lugs on toms sit closer to the shell than the lugs are used on bass drums. Again, that's to provide the clearance for the wood hoops. So if you're going to convert your floor tom into a bass drum, you have to invest in bass drum lugs in order to elevate the lug off the shell far enough so the tension rod can clear the hoop and then you can tune the drum. The simpler thing to do is to just get a conversion kit, one of the Gibraltar or Danettes or Pearl or whatever, whatever's available. Just get one of those conversion kits. That way you can just keep it as a tom, but it'll come with some like clip-on spurs, a riser that you can hook your pedal to. That way you don't need to invest in a bunch of replacement parts. Now, if you know you're never going to use that drum as a tom ever again, you only want to use it for a bass drum, it might be worth your while just to buy the proper lugs, get yourself some wood hoops, and then now it's a permanent bass drum. But no, uh, you can't just slap wood hoops on a tom and then use it as a bass drum. Should I use nylon washers on all of my tension rods? This is... um. Recommended, I would say yes, because the nylon washers will make the drum tune smoother. It'll just, you won't get that grinding feeling of when the metal washer is hitting the hoop. It'll protect the hoop over time so it won't wear out from the washer and a tension rod. So, yeah, I think if you want an instant, more kind of high end, expensive tuning experience from your drum, put some nylon washers on it. Do you need to? Absolutely not. There's no, I mean, I haven't heard any acoustical benefit from it, but it does make the drum just tune easier, smoother. Um, maybe it holds tuning better. Again, we'll have to just test that, but I would say yes, try them. All right, last one here. Um, if you want to replace this, though, the question is, how do I know which lugs fit my drums? If you need to replace a lug, if you break one, or if you just want to try something different on your drum, you have to realize that not all the hole spacings are universal. So whatever the hole spacing on your lugs is, there's only going to be potentially a few that are the exact same match. Or if it's a more common spacing, there might be more options. But the point is you have to measure the hole spacing. So take the lug off and then either on the drum shell or on the lug that you're replacing, get a ruler, start on the one inch mark. That way you're not dealing with the um, the end clip of your tape measure being, you know, causing some inaccuracies. But the important thing is you need to measure from the center of the hole on one end to the center of the hole on the other end. So if it's a one inch spacing, you're measuring the center of the bottom hole to the center of the top hole, and they measure one inch. You have to be super specific because 
even in you know eighth of an inch variation is going to cause an issue when you get a replacement lug and then find out it doesn't fit and you got to either widen the hole in your shell or dr like drill an entirely new shell new hole in the shell which is probably the last thing you want to do so yeah just make sure you measure the center of the hole to the center of the other hole and if it's like a if it's a spur that has three holes same thing center of one hole to one and then center of the other hole to the other get all that measurements and then we can help you find the proper lugs to fit your drum okay that's it for our frequently frequently asked questions thank you again if you have any other things you want me to talk about questions um, topics for us to consider you can always email me mike at drumfactordirect.com you can also always dm us at the drum factor direct instagram page i monitor that daily um, just let us know what you want us to talk about so we'll i'll do my best to not wait a year to get to your questions next time so let's get into the shop talk segment this week um, chris hawthorne and i dug out this um we're going to talk about what what's a made in japan what do we call like stencil brand drums that were made in japan we have a great example of one here that's by a stencil brand called blackjack which i'd never heard before so let's check it out this week we are talking about japanese kits vintage japanese kits right this is a japanese kit what is this kit this is a japanese kit okay <laughs> good <laughs> guess we completely planned it all right <laughs> what makes how do you know it's a japanese kit? it's a blackjack kit so what is is there any kind of history to that brand um well i'll start with your first question okay. so you know how do you identify a japanese kit um sometimes it can be kind of hard because this is this is a, a kit and i'll kind of circle back on this that was made by star Okay. Is that the Tama, pre-Tama? Yeah. Um, and they kind of known for copying Japanese stencil brands in general were known for Japanese, copying American parts and American companies. So, you know, if you see this, maybe you're on Facebook marketplace or you're on Craigslist or you're on eBay and there's like a blurry picture, you know, sometimes you, it's hard to tell what it is because it, you know, this looks exactly like a Slingerland lug, pretty much close. Um, this wrap, Slingerland made this. This was called Blue Agate. It was also made by Rogers. So okay. it can be kind of hard to tell. And there's some giveaways. You know, if you look at the hardware, like this was a mount that was never offered by um, Rogers or Slingerland. Mm. Same thing with this. Um, so you kind of peek at the hardware right off. about the Tom bracket is different? Yeah. And you can actually see it says made. You can't see it there, but it says made in Japan on there. Okay. See, I would have guessed this is a Yamaha kit. Really? Why? The rectangle badge for some reason, and just the look of it. I don't know why. Yeah, it's kind of. I've gotten to the point where I can like just you know see it pretty quick because you see enough of them. Yeah. Um, but another another kind of feature, and we'll kind of circle back on this, is the shell makeup. So. This drum came with this kit. It's a 13-inch. Uh, the bottom reinforcement ring is pretty jacked up, so we're not going to include it with it. That's not worth a repair, right? You have to <laughs> no, it's not. You know, it's one of those things like in, you know, it's this is a 2012-14 kit with a snare. So maybe somebody would use a 13, but, you know, it's kind of like the classic configuration. Yeah. But um, getting back to the shell, this is a thin Luan shell. And when I say thin, like you can like press in on <laughs> the look, like a, like a lot of the spurs on these kits here, 
they'll um, sometimes will put reinforcement wood behind it because so you can literally like right they're, that, they're that thin. Are and, those feet original? Those white weird rubber feet on the spurs? I don't know. It's a good question. It's like seems strange that they would throw a piece of white rubber on a, on a kit that has. I always wonder like about rubber tip feet and stuff. Like were they not were they not on carpets back then? Yeah. Maybe not. Just wood floors. Gymnasiums. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? You know, if you're, you're at a gig now, as you bring a, you know, everybody got a carpet. Is there a carpet right. there? Right. Steal it from the door. Or whatever <laughs> you got to do. But like, it doesn't work on carpet. You know? <laughs> I've always wondered that. It does look, I mean, yeah, that would be, uh, we'll get to this, but a point of concern for would be if that shell's cracked there, because that sucker's floating on the spur. Right? I mean, they're, they're really... Uh, to be hundred percent, it's it's almost like firewood. Yeah, like the, it's not it's not good wood. Um, but that you know they put reinforcement rings in here, and I wish you could see this. Maybe you can, but like that's how bad the wood is on these. Yeah. See how that that split there? Yeah. And you see on the other side. You see this in the camera there. You see how they have oh, that an extra layer of it. Yeah. Wow. Quite interesting. And what is that? Some someone tried to. Fit. Oh, you said it had tape on the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what I what I'd like to do when we're doing these, Mike, is maybe you know a lot of people will ask, you know, what's the story with the kit? Mm -hmm. And I, I never really know what that means, but maybe we can take some time when we do these sections and kind of like give a story behind the kit. Not that there's anything crazy with this. We bought it. Um, and it was in pretty good shape. We didn't clean it up at all, but it, the toms were all missing bottom heads mm. and somebody had put like blue electrical tape on the bottom, okay. um, which was common back in the day, you know, like kind of like the dead AM, AM radio, Don Henley type sound. Right, right. Um, but all the drums are in round and the nice part is they all came with the original tension rods. Mm. Now that might not be a big deal if it was an American kit, but they use a different thread. Oh, no kidding. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we've had kits come in without bottom heads on it. And then you're going through your tension rod drawer and you like want to bash your skull. <laughs> what are they metric? I mean, what's the difference? Um, probably. Yeah. I know that they like just don't, you know, American style doesn't work. So sometimes you have to go in, you have to take out the lug insert or the swivel nut, you whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that's just the whole thing. So they came, all of them were still in here. So really all it took was just uh, swapping out the uh, bottom heads and hoops and tuning them up. But So this is an example of a stencil kit, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm glad they actually brought it up. So there's a guy's name's Mark Patch. And Mark, if you're watching this, Thank you for doing this book because he wrote this book called Vintage Stencil Drums. And uh, I think I got it. It was pretty cheap. I can't remember where I got it from, but literally, and you can't see this, but if you open this, it catalogs the three different uh, factories that stencil drums were made, okay. the history, what they came on to be. I even think it goes through like all the like different brand names. So this is a star kit. I think this is a start kit. I sound like an idiot if it's not. So what were the factories? Pearl, Yamaha, and Tama? So there was... Hold on. I'm glad Come on, I'm, I'm quizzing you here. I'm glad I'm prepared for this. <laughs> He's got his know. cliff notes. <laughs> yeah, so here it is. Let's see here. Where is it? Where was I here? I was looking at this earlier. 
There's a, there's a kit. There's a stencil called Karen. There's Karen. A, a Karen stencil. You've got to find a Karen kit. Oh, the stencil is probably asking for a <laughs> refund for their dinner. You've got to find a Karen. Where did it go? Here it is. Blackjack. Yes, yeah, star. What finishes did the Karen kits come in? They came in to talk to my manager. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, here it is. All right. So there's, I don't know if you can see this, but there's the bees, and there is... See, belt. I've never heard that. Bent, Beltone, Bentone. Okay. Blackjack, okay. Bolero. I've heard of. There's actually two. Look, there's Bolero with one L. <laughs> two L's, two. three L's, four L's. Yeah, there's literally like so many of them. CB seven hundred is considered a stencil kit. Yeah. Wild, because I just thought that was the, the beginner kit. Same thing with Royce. That was another one that just everyone had. A Royce. Everybody had a Royce kit. Royce was, I think, probably later on, because like they're kind of boring looking kits. Yeah. Like this has the, you know, the psychedelic style, kind of wild looking rap, if you will. Crazy. So why would I want to buy this kit? I did just play it and it, it sounds super fat. So it does something that I couldn't get from like a pristine maple kit, I mm -hmm. don't think, right away. Um, but it's also limited. So who would want this kit and why get it? So... I mean, I think really that, that's honestly like a good question. Um, I think with some of the guys who grew up in the 70s and have been collectors and have been playing for years, like they look at these kits and they're like, that's trash. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, they grew up and they were, you know, watching these come out new. And um, but, you know, for, you know, my generation, you know, this is a kit that's 50 years old. Yeah. And no it has. I, I hate, you know, it has a vibe, you know, yeah, yeah. but it does. Um, so I, I think if you're a person who maybe is on a budget, so like this kit will cost you 600 bucks, mm -hmm. the, the shell pack, the snare, which I mean, is still a lot of money, but compared to like getting a new, if this was, would you say had the same finish? Slingerland. So if Slingerland a, or Rogers, yeah. A Rogers same yeah. setup would be twice as much. Probably. A lot. Yeah. Um, so if you're on a budget and don't want to spend a lot of money or you want like, I've heard, and I, I don't deal with a lot of, or I don't just know personally a lot of recording people or producers, but from what I understand that this is like a, you know, a popular sound now, mm -hmm. um, especially I'm, in the country scene. It sounded to me like it would record well because it just hits and gets out of the way and there's not a lot right, of overtone. Right. And I think too, like with the pandemic, there's a lot of people who might've invested money in recording equipment. And if you want a kit to like set up in the corner you know, take the bottom heads off. Um, did you show them the other, the inside of that? So it's got the original head on it. What a lot of people would do back in the day is they would put a piece of fabric behind there. And I won't hit it on camera, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like the 70s. Sounds yeah, like you're, so you're if playing. you want that like AM, like 70s style, so you can even hear this ring popping. <laughs> um, this would be a really good fit for you. Um, if you are touring, like, and you want to tour with something like this, like like Aaron Sterling did a John Mayer tour with um, with one of these kits. Mm. I don't know what he used for hardware, but you can just throw on like a pair of DW clamp-on spurs, take yep. those ones off, and you're pretty much set. So what is the things to look for that might be a problem with this? Things to look for. Um, broken lugs. <sighs> what I'll say about American lugs is that they're definitely well better made. Mm. Well better. They're definitely <laughs> better made. Um, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell that I got my grade seven in high school? Um, the, 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 whatever you want to call it, the part where the lug goes in the shell 
that'll yeah. sometimes pop okay and crack um but these are all fine so you want to watch that uh if you're buying one of these, definitely check out like the inside of the spurs and the inside of the shell where the spurs going. It's really common for like for there to be movement. It's just kind of the way the shell is. Mm. But like I've <laughs> I've had drums come in and there's literally like a hole, mm. <laughs> like a big gaping over the spur one. Wonder what happened there, the spurs. Um also make sure if it's missing any tension rods, you can find replacements or you have a swivel nuts that can go in there with tension rods to make it functional. Um, what else? Snare drums. I mean, you can't expect it to be a, a jazz festival, right? No. <laughs> I, I, to be 100% honest, the snare drums are probably the worst. So part. it's got, I mean, it looks. It's an eight log. It looks cool. It, looks, it does it, look cool. It's eight logs. Again, it has a ratty thing that I couldn't get from a, a new super high end drum. Yeah. So it does have a, a tone controller muffler, you whatever you want to call it, in there. So, but it's it's not. You're not going to get a wide range of sounds out of this. Yeah. It's kind of just like a throw-in, you know. Um, one other thing that's cool with the kit is, I think this, it says blackjack here. And again, you probably, oh, you probably can't see this, but it usually says world supreme quality on there. But it doesn't, which is another kind of weird. It's like they didn't finish the badges. It's a cool, cool Maybe kit, it was though. a Friday. <laughs> hey. All right, so what else do we need to know about vintage stencil kits? I think they're cool. I mean... One kind of weird thing about them is you don't you don't see a lot of big bass drums. Mm. Like, occasionally you'll see a 24, but not a lot. It's usually a 22 or a 20. So not like... I don't think I've ever seen a 26. 18s? There are some 18s there, which are, which are I think, I don't know. I've never seen that. Which are pretty cool. Um, they also made like... Uh, kids kits so like little 16 inch bass drums mm -hmm. like a little eight or 10 inch tom and a little snare drum which are kind of neat um but if you're looking for like a big you know kit this probably wouldn't be the, mm -hmm. the best option for you also i definitely it doesn't really matter what the brand is i definitely don't like clip mounts yeah they kind of just did <laughs> we had a we had a new yorker a ludwig new yorker in and it had a, a rail with a spade mount and it was a doom yeah. And then when you put it on a stand, it was like a completely different drum. So I, I don't really like using center mounts for Japanese drums either. I think it kind of kills the uh, the tone. That's but. something I understand. No one tested it. I'm like, cool, we're going to try this. Oh, it makes the drum sound really bad. Let's go ahead and make them. Roll it. <laughs> roll Let's roll with it. it. <laughs> the crazy part is like, not to get off track, but Ludwig's with rails are worth more than ones with center mounts. But they're like... You got to get the wrench out. Yeah. You got to do this thing here. You got to do that thing there. You put it on. It's not in the right spot. You got to take it, all it off. over again. Right. So slightly rusty. <laughs> not great. <laughs> not great. <laughs> this is a great kit. So that's um, Japanese stencil brand Blackjack. Blackjack. I'm sure we'll come across a few more of these before <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Dig it.
All right, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you again for listening. As we come up on our one-year anniversary here, we're going to have uh, a bunch of cool ideas happening here soon. I'm going to have some more in-person um, segments with, with my buddies here in Pittsburgh. Um, we're going to be back at Hawthorne frequently. We've got some other, you know, a lot of things in the works. And I'm also going to be getting some of the greatest drummers in the world back on the show. So thank you for your patience. And we will um, see you next time. Have a good week.